0: And now, The Low Post.
1: Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Friday. The NBA season is three days underway, and I needed someone who I know is sitting there, like me, just mainlining NBA games that first Wednesday night with 12 games I want to watch four of them no wait I want to watch five of them I got I'm sitting on Madison Square Garden press row watching Knicks Celtics and during commercial breaks I'm watching Magic Rockets and everyone is looking at me like I'm a freak I need another person like that co-host of the Dunker Spot now uh, Nakias Duncan how are you sir
0: I am doing well. I am doing well. And man, you are preaching to the choir, trying to bounce around with all these games. Uh, The watch parties that Steve and I host, it turned into a league pass bounce around on Wednesday. So got to see a little bit of everything, spent early portion of Thursday trying to watch some full games. So I'm right there with you, excited for this new NBA season.
1: Wednesday night, Thursday morning, that first Wednesday night, Thursday morning. That's the real opening night. In the NBA, as far as I'm concerned, apologies to Denver and the Ring. I mean, that's the real. I get that's opening night, but that Wednesday is when it feels like okay. Now we're here. Now we're here. The frenzy is here. Okay, we're gonna bounce around. Let's start with Sixers Bucks because it was Damian Lillard's debut in Milwaukee. The first game we either we saw from either of these teams. The last two teams to play, the Bucks win by one, but really kind of by four. uh, Meaningless buzzer-beating three at the end for the Sixers. Damian Lillard, 39 points. And it was, the, the one of the big questions about the Bucks was, is Giannis really going to, A, set like 30 or 40 screens a game for Dame? The answer in the first game was no. He set 11, according to Second Spectrum. There will be more. There will be more. Warning to the league. There will be more because it's freaking devastating. And B, will he hand over the crunch time offense? And that was an emphatic yes. They gave the ball to Dame. He got the hell out of the way, and Dame hit a step-back three, and then to clinch the game, a Dame Giannis pick and roll kind of turned into a Dame iso, drew a foul. 17 free throws last night for Dame coming off a season in which he set a career high in free throws. Um, I, I didn't I didn't think the Bucs looked great, uh, really, on either end of the floor, and then you look up and it's like, oh, they have 118 points and they got the win over a Sixers team that, of course is playing without James Harden, who I, uh, against my very will had flashbacks (laughs) to the final episode of friends, given the drama of, did he get on the plane? I hope he got off the plane. He got off the plane. Oh, he got off the plane. By the way, Ross sucked and Rachel should have gotten on the plane. We all agree on that. Sorry for spoiling a, a finale. That's like 20 years old. Nikias, Let's start with Dame and the bucks. Um, what were you watching with your careful eye in this game or, or what, what did you see um, that maybe surprised you or is going to guide the way you watch the Bucks the second time you see them?
0: I think for me, quickly to bounce off of a, off of your Milwaukee didn't look super great point. Uh, a 97.7 half-court offensive rating for Milwaukee, which was a couple of points lower than the regular season mark last year. Obviously one game sample, so we'll see how that grows. Um, but for me, it was trying to figure out what exactly the damn usage was going to look like, number one. Number two, what kind of staggering will we see with Milwaukee in light of Chris Milton still being on the minutes restriction? And then three, how the defensive assignments will be doled out for Milwaukee since they don't have a premier wing defender. Obviously Drew Holiday isn't more, uh, isn't there anymore. So figuring out what they wanted to do there. Offensively, I think the second quarter in particular is where you got, oh, this is why Dame is here. Uh, Shout out to my guy, Steve, for calling out V action, uh, the super high double pick and roll or those step up screens near half court that they were setting for Dame. And, Gets downhill, gets a short little jumper, gets downhill, gets a layup, gets downhill or stops a little bit short, takes a pull up three that bounces in. It's like, oh, right. Giannis can rest and Dame can just destroy worlds for a little bit. And then you got to worry about Giannis coming back into the game. So that part was terrifying. I was intrigued with how they were just trying to balance Dame in. There were some some hints at them trying to go with some inverted pick and roll, some like handoff exchanges between Giannis and Dame. Uh, You noted Giannis only screened for Dame 11 times in that one. That was something I was looking at as well um but you can see the gears kind of turning and then you have the stretch like the second quarter and you see the end of the fourth quarter where it's like oh right this is what it can look like this is why the nba at large should not have let this happen obviously saying that facetiously but this is how devastating this pairing can be and how we're gonna we're
1: gonna edit out saying that facetiously and just so you get aggregated (laughs) as Nikias duncan suggests the league should have vetoed the damian lillard to portland trade um yeah, we did not see a lot of inverted pick and rolls. I mean, some of those are sort of random, the way the Bucks run them in semi-transition. So those will come. Like Dame will find ways to step up and step into those picks. Didn't see as much of that like, back-screening action at the elbows with Dame screening for Giannis that got him some dunks in, in the preseason. We'll see, we'll see more of that. Um, it re- to me, it really underscored how much Middleton matters to this team. He only played 16 minutes. He didn't play down the stretch. And, you know, like Crowder was all right. Portis made shots. Beauchamp, I thought, played nice defense in his 16 minutes. Connaughton was kind of there. Like, Lopez was – like, their depth was just kind of there. And it underscored to me how much Middleton really matters for their offense. I mean, they opened the game with a bunch of Middleton, Giannis – side pick and rolls with Dame spacing. You're like, oh, Dame is spacing for a Middleton Giannis pick and roll. Like that's kind of, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, and then Chris just kind of disappeared from the game. And uh, by the way, the, the parallels between Middleton and Kristaps Porzingis are, are interesting to me in that it's immediately clear that what we thought is correct, that both of them are exactly in the place in the pecking order where they should be where they are going to be at their best. Middleton is a third option. Porzingis is kind of a fourth option at times. Where it's just like, dude, just screen, catch, shoot, screen, roll, cut from the corner sometimes. But um, Middleton's importance was really uh, underscored. And defensively, you mentioned it. I mean, like, if you're going into a game against Philly and Tyrese Maxey is the number one perimeter option, and you're like, all right, Malik Beasley, like, y- you get you get the job. Like, that's, that's not that's not awesome.
0: It's not ideal, but I will give the quick hat tip at least through the first three-ish quarters from Elite Bisley. He really competed. Like I was surprised with how well he held up relative to what my expectations were for him. Now, to your general point, that isn't ideal within a playoff context, and I would imagine Milwaukee is going to hope Marjan Bochamp takes some real steps throughout the regular season. If we see Andre Jackson at some point this year, maybe he gets some of those because he's a really good defender or projects to be one. So or they just tried to make some kind of move at the deadline with whatever assets they have left. But Malik Beasley mostly held his own. Like I, he did. I have to give him the props there. Um, and while we're on the defense, that was also something that I was looking for since we, you know, do head coach in Milwaukee, where are they trying to run? What are they going to do? Joel Embiid was doubled or got a late double on all of his post touches, which was fun. We saw some zones sprinkled in from Milwaukee, which is not something that we normally see from them. So I, I like what Milwaukee's trying to get at. I can't wait to see where they're at, like, game 10, game 15, and see how all of this kind of stuff progresses for them.
1: Um, Embiid, eight, uh, seven turnovers, rather, six assists. I mean, the broadcast stand was just hammering it the whole game. I mean, this has been the issue that's plagued his entire career. He has a negative assist-to-turnover ratio in the playoffs, not in the regular season, but in the playoffs. He, he was okay. Um, what did you think of maxi as lead ball handler and how the maxi and Bede two-man game worked and did you feel the void of harden in this game
0: i think you felt the void in terms of the playmaking because tyrese maxi still very much trying to grow as a as a more aggressive passer um as a more advanced passer with some of the skips and with some of the help that milwaukee was showing uh, there were some openings that I feel like he missed, but ul- ultimately like I was pretty impressed with what Tyrese Maxey did got downhill quite a bit and kind of how I mentioned with Dane taking those really high step up ball screens. It just felt like the high, the pick and rolls between Tyrese Maxey and Paul Reed or Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid got higher and higher and higher as the game progressed and giving Tyrese Maxey that much space to chew up to either flow into pull up threes against a reeling defense or get all the way down, get all the way to the rim. I think it was pretty fun. 10 free throw attempts for Tyrese Maxey. You yep. got to earmark that one. And I noted during the watch party I was hosting with Steve last night, like, hey, is he starting to get some of these intricacies of foul drawing down? Because that's going to be a pretty big deal for him. Like, you would see him get downhill at full tilt and then slow down, nudge the shoulder in, bounce off, and then aim a shot, and then he gets the whistles. Like, that's some subtle stuff. But if Tyrese Maxey can also mix in just getting to the line, getting some easier stuff, in addition to the drives and what kind of pressure that puts on defenses, in addition to the pull-ups, that's going to help him become that primary option that you want him to be anyway. But in light of James Harden not being there, you're going to want to find some easy sources of offense. And I was really impressed with just kind of the cadence that he played with in the half court. You could see the growth from this year uh, compared to last year.
1: This game was there for Philly. Um, And what a way to start the season it would have been with Harden Gently turned away on the tarmac. Um, I'm sure it was a cordial. I've, I've actually heard it was kind of a cordial conversation between Elton Brand and Nick Nurse and James Harden. Can't imagine the awkwardness of that whole scene. But to go to Milwaukee and win without Harden and, and, and feel good like, okay, we can be a, a, a very solid team while whatever this is over here. Mm-hmm. Gets sorted out or not. Obviously they may have gotten Kelly Oubre's single best game of the entire NBA season in the first game. It did not win it. Um, uh, and Kelly Oubre set his career high, maybe in blown kisses in one game, just at <laughs> just every shot. Now it's, it's a kiss to whoever is nearby. It's his thing. That's it. his thing. He really has made the blow. The blown kiss is Kelly Oubre's thing. Um, and, uh, of course they did not win it. Um, and I, I agree with you. I thought Max, obviously, Maxi was great. I thought for the first three quarters, what I was looking for was can he create the little 13 foot jumpers for Embiid? That's the shot that won Embiid the MVP. It's the shot that gave him 10 to 12 pretty easy points every game. It was like a 50 55% shot for him. Harden is just a genius at getting him that shot in rhythm. I thought for the first three quarters he really didn't get any of those or very, or as many as he would have. He got one at the right elbow, but if you watch the play, Maxi is throwing the bounce pass from the three-point line and Embiid is catching it almost there and has to take one big step to get to a contested 16-foot jumper versus an uncontested pocket pass jumper. And then I thought to myself, taking notes, the thing with Embiid has always been can you roll, big fella? Can you roll? And Harden gave him an incentive to short roll pretty hard, and and I started to wonder, like, is he does does he not feel the incentive to do that? Does he feel the payoff is not going to be there? Because if he doesn't, he's just going to pop and take threes, and he made threes, three of yeah. seven, and then in the fourth quarter, as Stan called this out on the broadcast, I, it's really annoying to me how the Van Gundy's call out every good point I want to make that night or the next day said, I wish Embiid would roll more. And he started to roll more, and he got a couple of those little jumpers, not quite as easy as the hardened ones, but he got them in rhythm. And Maxi delivered a couple of nice passes. Like, this is going to be an ongoing story for as long as this fiasco goes on. That's the number one thing I'm going to be watching every game is Maxi's passing in the pick and roll because I think he is getting better. And clearly, like, Tobias had a good game. Oubre had a good game. You know, I... I I mean, combined those guys shot 17 of 20. So you're not going to get that every game. But, you know, this is still a good team, clearly, as we all thought it was going to be. Yeah. And I think just to quickly bounce off of the Maxi point, this is why I
0: really was earmarking like the super high pick and rolls for him. Because one, you're just giving Maxi himself a bunch of options with his mix of speed and ball handling. But as I think what around the 130 mark of the fourth quarter, you get a high win between him and Joel Embiid. He gets all the way downhill. He throws. A bounce pass to Joel Embiid. He gets one of those elbow jumpers, and that was probably the most fluid one that he got in his entire game. It's like, okay, you may be able to blend that out. And if you're trying to build connectivity in the half court offense, you mentioned like the assist turnover ratio for Embiid. If they're going to set them that high, and if Maxi's going to generate pressure to that degree, that could open up some throwbacks to Embiid that could flow into some handoffs elsewhere. You know, depending on who they trade for, or whenever something happens in the heart and spot. Maybe that kind of opens up some second side action for you. And maybe that's how you get a little bit more connectivity in the half court for Philly, which is something I think they've been searching for um, throughout this era with Embiid as well. So like that's something to keep in mind as well.
1: Let's do the obligatory James Harden interlude, uh, which is still we're still looking for a sponsor for the James Harden interlude. It could be uh, some sort of nausea medication, maybe, I would suggest now. Or uh, I've already suggested some beard <laughs> maintenance tools. Anybody out there, do you want to sponsor the James Harden interlude? So Woj reported on NBA Countdown on Wednesday that the Clippers have put – hit pause, hit the old pause button on the James Harden trade talks. He then, uh, As I was sitting next to him on NBA Today yesterday – said, you know, they may revisit this. I think he even said they are likely to revisit this at some point. Uh, But for now, they've hit pause, which makes total sense for the Clippers. Like, Nikias, imagine being the Clippers. You cannot negotiate with what is, in effect, not an irrational actor, but an actor that is at least puzzling to you from a whole coast away. Mm -hmm. You don't know what James Harden is going to do. You don't know what the Sixers are going to do. You don't know how the situation is going to escalate in the next week to 10 days. You do know that you're the only bidder, as everybody knows. Like, I, I just, I don't know how I'm supposed to, like, make coherent negotiating offers in this kind of environment. This is really, um, if you read if you read Woj's reporting and, and sort of read between the lines and have conversations, I don't, everyone is asking me, like, where is this going to go? I don't know. This is just a three-team, a three-party game of chicken where the Sixers and Harden have found, they have tread the line and found a way to delay, 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 delay. Um, he hasn't been fined. His abs- or he hasn't been fined every time. I don't know if he's been fined once or twice, whatever. His absence has been excused. He's now started to miss games. He's been away from the team. He's ramping up. He's gonna keep. This is a, this is a longer ramp up than I need to play pickup basketball. This is a long ramp up, but he's ramping up, and they've just sort of lived in this nether world of no one has made the next decisive move yet. The Sixers are sitting here, not daring him, but wondering, like, you have any cards left to play here, man? Because, like, if you don't, we're gonna ask you to play, and then once we do that, once we really firmly do that. Then we got to see how you react, and Harden is sitting there like, "Are you going to ask me to play? Are you going to find me? Like, how are you going to act?" No one is taken a decisive step yet. It's like mutually assured destruction in like the old <laughs> nuclear war parlance. Like, who is going to act first? If I act first in a in an escalating way, do I also destroy myself in the process? Um, and as, as I've said many times, the Nets are sitting there with buckets of popcorn all over the facility, just watching. Like, oh, let's do it. Let's do mm-hmm. it. Mutually assured destruction. Let's do it. Um, I, to me, I don't... If the Clippers have really hit... I wonder, Nikias. When, when Woj said that, Clippers hit pause. The first, the first thought I had was, this won't happen because the one thing the Sixers will not do here is make a trade that Daryl Morey thinks is a bad trade. But what if, upon hitting pause, Daryl Morey called Lawrence Frank and just said, you know what, fine, we'll do the offer you want. Would the Clippers really say no? I don't know the answer to that. Like, are they out-out? Or are they just like, I can't deal with this crap anymore. Let's see if our team is good enough that we don't have to trade for James Harden. Or let's see if our team, because of injury or whatever, is mediocre to the degree that, like, it's not even worth it for us to to trade for James Harden. I have no idea what's going to happen here. I keep saying that the most likely scenario is... He he comes back because he does not want to get fined. He wants his money. He knows what the CBA says. He he loafs or whatever. He half half measures it. They bench him for basketball reasons, and they and everyone kind of sees like is half half assed, whatever you want to say, play resulting in a benching. Is that finable, not finable, resting policy implications? We don't know. Let's see. But I think uh, I think that's where we are with, with James Harden. Um, it's just bizarre, man. It's just bizarre. Do you have any thoughts on this? I just don't even know. And then in the meantime, the Sixers will hope and pray that, like, Chicago has five more players-only meetings after five more losses. And it's like, you know what? Screw it. Let's trade for James Harden for some reason.
0: Oh, man. That'd be fun. I think on the James Harden front, like, I guess, first and foremost, I hope he's okay. Just based on some of the reporting that's out there with why he has the personal absence. I hope he's okay first and foremost. As for the basketball stuff, I'm kind of in a loop, too. Like, it does feel like he ends up a Clipper eventually, but I don't know who acts first to your general point. And if I'm the Clippers, I just I don't want this to extend. And so, like, I'm also just kind of confused. It's it's an understandable pause, but I'm also kind of confused by the pause. Like, this feels like if we're going to make this move, if we are making this push to, quote-unquote, salvage this era of Clifford's basketball, I want to get as many games of James Harden as I can. So by the time we get to the playoffs, we know what this is and what this isn't. I don't necessarily want this to be we trade for James Harden in January and now we got to reconfigure what the rotation is, how we're playing, trying to figure out, okay, are the Harden Kawhi pick and rolls just going to be switches like the Harden? I mean, like the Kawhi PG pick and rolls going to be switches? How do we figure? What do we do with that? Um, with the Clippers having their salary structure right now, like I don't even think they can be buyout players. If I'm, if I have depends that order, what right? your
1: prior. It depends what your prior salary is.
0: Got you. Uh, what the player's prior salary is. Got you. So like on that front, like even trying to piece together some stuff after making said trade might get a little funky. So. I don't know. Like, I, I want Harden to be okay, and then I want a resolution just for my peace of mind, and I know all three of the parties that you mentioned want something to happen, I would imagine, so That that's kind of where I am.
1: This has been the James Harden interlude sponsored by Pepto-Bismol. <laughs> Thank you, pe- Pepto-Bismol, for all your nausea needs. Does anyone use Pepto-Bismol anymore? I'm so, I'm slandering Pepto-Bismol now. I, I, as a kid it was the last option on the nausea flow chart. Like I would rather puke for three straight days than take any Pepto Bismol. Okay. Um, uh, Milwaukee. I, I don't want to shortchange Milwaukee. The big story was Dame. Uh, we mentioned the pick and rolls. I, I did. I did. There was some Dame Brooke Lopez pick and rolls with Giannis kind of up in the slot. That was interesting to me because you would think, Oh, just ignore Giannis. Uh, he can't shoot, but The threat of him as a cutter is so immense that you actually can't do that in practice. Um, On a couple of the Dame Giannis pick and rolls, I'm sure you saw uh, with Brooke Lopez spacing, and I think this will be the obstacle for the Bucs, and again, where Middleton comes in. Joel Embiid was like, cool, Brooke Lopez, I'm not guarding you above the break. I'm going to be in the paint. I'm going to meet Giannis on the catch, and there was one turnover on that, and that is when uh, Brooke Lopez can hand the ball to Chris Middleton, hopefully, for a handoff. And like, If you're not guarding Brooke Lopez... Suddenly, here comes this dude who's made a couple all-star teams off a handoff wide open. That, that's kind of a problem. And there was one three where I uh, I yelped a little bit, even though Dame missed it. When Giannis brought the ball up in transition like a freight train, and they built the wall. And they yep. forgot they were building a wall away from Damian Lillard on the right wing. And Dame missed. And I, I don't know about you, Nikaias, but I, he missed that shot. I was like, whoo, that's Damian Lillard, man. Yeah, called it out in real time during the watch
0: party. Like, oh, you can't, you just can't do that anymore. And like Giannis alluded to how open he was in the free, first preseason game that they played together. But to see something like that pop out in real time, it is, again, like, yo, this is terrifying because this is a game that the Bucs won in which, again, uh, half-court offensive rating under 98, lower than league average last year. They're trying to piece this together. What does this look like in January? Or they're just they're just flowing into stuff in early offense, or you're getting more of the exotic actions in the half court between these two. Like I I am excited to see how this develops.
1: This is this is. We were having a debate yesterday on set during commercials. Who are you most excited to watch just night to night? And my default answer is Denver, just because I mean it's obvious. And then uh, Perk laughed at that and thought that was a dumb answer. Um, and. And then I came back to you like, actually, you know, the Bucks are playing tonight and I'm like amped up to watch how this works. And it's going to be a, a learning process every game. But these two guys on the same team is like. It is one of those things where you take a double take every once in a while, like, oh, that's Damian lillard it's like the uniforms green he plays for the mm-hmm. Bucks now. Like, it's very strange. Um, OK, do you have any other thoughts on this game that you wanted to get out? Because I'm sure you spotted stuff that I did not spot or any other players you wanted to, to hit. Um, I would say Philadelphia going smaller for parts of this game
0: without Embiid, having Paul Reed, PJ Tucker on the floor together, D'Anthony Melton out there as well. Uh, they did something that Steve called out during the game, having Pat Bev out there as well. Like a small ball defense heavy unit, it's kind of fun with them. And then you have Kelly Oubre who can just get buckets. Um, and then I guess zooming out from there, whenever again we get some kind of resolution on the Harden thing. Those Maxi Oubre without Embiid lineups, I think, are going to be fun. I think that's where you're going to see Tyrese Maxi consistently play with the pace that he wants to play at. I think you're going to get the best version of him in those minutes. Um, on the Buck side, you already mentioned, like, Brooke Lopez being spaced and kind of being ignored. That's going to be something to sort through. Um, just a quick add tip to Jay Crowder, who made some really big plays in the second half. Like, it, it was refreshing to see him in a quote-unquote big game and perform well because we just didn't really see him in Milwaukee's rotation last year. And so, like that was cool to see.
1: Um, other than that, just again excited to see what these two teams look like moving forward. My favorite thing about Jay Crowder, other than the fact that he texts people in all caps as his default <laughs> as his default text messages, that's a true thing. Um, is look, we all know like defensively he's rugged and like he's aging a little. We'll see how much he really can be a plus for them on that end. They're gonna need him. We all know his shot comes and goes, and he just is gonna keep shooting it he's a really good connector type player. Like on the weak side of a pick and roll, flare screens, extra passes, quick hitting decisions, quick like boom, pass, handoff. Like he's really good at that stuff, which is one of the reasons why when you put him on a good team with talent in the pick and roll, in the middle, that can suck in defenses and get the defense rotating, he looks a lot better. Jay Crowder can't do that. If you can't bend the defense in a really big way, He's just not going to look good. The mm-hmm. Bucs can bend your defense in a really big way, and then he's going to do all his little Jay Crowder stuff that that looks good. Okay, on to the Lakers and the Suns. More so the Lakers because the Suns were missing Bradley Beal and Devin Booker right away in the second game. Bradley Beal also missed their opener. Uh, a loss to, to – um, no, a win, sorry, in Golden State. A nice, a gritty win, actually. A, a good win, a Frank Vogel-type win. Uh, Nurkic closing the game with a, a Nurkic layup. Uh, A very Nurkichi flailing layup that went in. Um, uh, Last night was just Durant and a whole bunch of like prayers uh, for Jordan Goodwin floaters and Eric Gordon threes and uh, Grayson Allen pull up threes at the end of the game. Let's talk about the Lakers who gutted out a win that, you know, at home, you kind of hope you don't really need to gut that one out so Mm -hmm. guttily after getting blown out by the Nuggets, like outclassed by the Nuggets in Denver on rig night. The Lakers are one and one their offense, which was bad last year in the half court has been bad again this year in the half court. And the two big talking points for the season so far have been LeBron's minutes and his usage, LeBron, LeBron, was caught on a mic between during the first game, saying, "Hey man, yo, I can or I can play point guard. Remember, like I'm LeBron James, I can play point guard, and I want to play more minutes." Or that it he didn't he didn't say that he he um did not seem enthused by whatever minutes limit may or may not exist. And then mm-hmm. of course the AD discourse, just every game is either a disgrace to humanity or a reminder that he's an MVP candidate. It's just there's just you just we cannot. We in the media, not me, but have just lost the ability to talk normally about Anthony Davis. Um, He's either a trash fire or the best player in the NBA. It's like there's no in-between. What did you see? So the Lakers got this out last night. Um, LeBron, in the game, uh, ran 18 pick and rolls. He ran five in the first game. AD set 39 ball screens. He set 33 in the first game. So clearly... The spread, pick, and roll to the degree the Lakers can spread it uh, was an emphasis. LeBron closed the game with three straight layups on that, on that action with AD, with Christian Wood, interestingly, closing the game at the four. Um, I, like, why? They loaded up on ball handlers. Reeves is good. He's been a little uneven. Obviously, Vincent's off to a slow start. D'Lo's D'Lo. Why isn't this team better on offense? What, what's not happening?
0: I think for me, like one is just the shooting, and I would imagine at least some of that corrects itself, and it makes things look a little bit better. Because like oh, honestly, I haven't super minded the Lakers' process through two games.
1: Neither have like, I. I. The think number, they're... the numbers are bad. Like even I looked up. Did you look up AD's the numbers on AD's pick and rolls when he was the screener last night? Yeah, they're not not great. They're horrendous. It's it's point eight five points per possession when the pick and roll leads to. This is him as a screener leads right to the end of the possession, and then zooming out to the full possession, which is normally better, it's .73. Like, that's g And But at the end, it worked. They missed a bunch of open threes, and they had some sloppy turnovers. But I, I'm with you. I, like, I looked at those numbers, and I was surprised because I'm like, I'm glad they're doing this more. They should lean into this more.
0: Yeah, like, I haven't super-minded the process, and I think you kind of already alluded to it. They have multiple ball handlers. I think they are trying to find the blend between activating everyone and kind of conserving lebron through the regular season and trying to save him for one the postseason but two even within the regular season just trying to save him for pockets in the game like i think you want d handling you want austin reeves handling you want Gabe that's the Benson point of handling.
1: them being on the team
0: yeah you want those guys to be able to soak up some usage for you and do good things and then if you are in a close game now you can just spam lebron post-ups lebron pick and rolls lebron isolations if you need to and i think you kind of saw the blueprint of that last night, as as you said, closed it out with those pick and rolls with AD, went right at use of Nurkic, who you Nurk is competing through two games. I'm kind of impressed. We'll talk about Nurk a little bit later. But I think that's kind of the blueprint of what the Lakers want to do. And because the shot making hasn't super been there, and at least through two games, seems like teams are shading a lot of a lot more help towards Anthony Davis and kind of daring him as a passer, which is interesting to me. And the Lakers are countering with some cutting one pass away. They're doing different things and stuff on the weak side. So again, process has felt fine for me and maybe I'm just too optimistic. We'll see, but guys have to knock down shots. Like Gabe Vincent is getting catch and shoot opportunities. Rui Hatchamur is getting catch and shoot opportunities. I go to the Denver game and how aggressively they were helping out for him. And it was like, he just had one of his better shooting seasons of his career. It's interesting that they are treating him as the guy that if he hits shots, we just live with. It.
1: I think Michael Malone, just is going to have Rui Hachimura just <laughs> vitriol in his soul forever because of game one of the conference finals when people were asking him whether the the Lakers had stumbled upon something with Rui Hachimura on Jokic and AD on Aaron Gordon. I think he's just going to be like, I hate this guy. Help treat him. Treat him like Tony Allen. Just don't guard. I hate this guy.
0: So Very quickly on that. Because that was very loud discourse, and like I understood where it came from. Did we not see like the Philadelphia game where it was PJ Tucker on Jokic and Joel Embiid roaming around? I forgot Minnesota? about
1: that. T- Tucker did well on him too. Yeah,
0: like Minnesota's done it. Like that isn't even the first time that the gambit happened and had some success in pockets. So it was just interesting to be that the Rui thing again. It it quote unquote worked um, early on, but like it was funny that that became like just the big thing. And oh no, they found it. Like this is it isn't new. I guess that's just like a general basketball thing. Like, there are only so many,
1: quote-unquote, new things you can do.
0: But that part was always funny to me.
1: Let's just do the Jokic thing now, since we're going to rapid-fire bounce around the league. I picked Tatum to win the MVP. He had a great first game. He's fantastic attacking the rim, threw some nice passes. Boston's passing, that's going to be the determining factor to me. I picked them to win the championship. Who was your championship pick? Uh, I had Boston. They're... they're particularly like the holiday brown piece of their passing if you're going to space the floor the best defenses are going to make you throw two or three passes to get a great shot like you're not going to get these wide open Porzingis pick and pop threes in the playoffs every single time tatum i I thought threw some really good early passes in that game uh holiday and brown particularly jalen had a miserable game Uh, their passing is is going to be Is going to be what makes or breaks them. Defensively, they're awesome. Like, that was clear right out of the gate. Like, offensively against the Knicks, I was at that game. They were a little sloppy and disjointed. And they knew I was some of their coaches and I were chuckling with it after the game about just, you know, it's a long way to go. It's game one. We got the win. Mm -hmm. Defensively, they're going to be awesome. I brought up Tatum because of the MVP. Watching that first Denver game, I was like, uh oh. (laughs) He's (laughs) so good. Maybe I just should have picked a big fella because. I don't know what he finished with. I think he had twenty eight or twenty nine. Missed like four shots that he's going to make seventy five percent of the time. And there, it just can't be overstated. There is just nothing you can do with this guy. So just, just like put it in stark terms, he's bigger or and stronger than anyone you're going to put on him. Essentially, so you can move anybody wherever he wants to move them. He is very good to outrageously elite at every single thing you can do on offense from every single place on the floor. When you are that and so big that you can get wherever you want, even just set aside the fact that he's the greatest passing big man of all time. And I don't want to hear any more of this. Well, you know, Bill Walton or no, this is it. This is the guy. This he's number it. one. That's it. Uh, and I know I'm not old enough to have seen Bill Walton in his prime. Like I've seen the tapes. I've watched it. It's the Like when you're When you're all of those things together, there just isn't, there's no answer for him. I I don't know. I don't even, like, the answer is just to build an awesome team that scores a lot of points and stretches them out on defense, as I've talked about before. I think you need a lot of great wing defenders to just get in the passing lanes and contest shots when he kicks it out because you're going to have to help and recover, which is why I think Boston matches up the best against Denver if they ever were to get there. But, man, you just watch him play, and it's like, D- these teams have nothing for him. There's just nothing you can do. Yeah. And like, that's why I, I kind of chuckled at some of the why
0: didn't teams make moves to stop Jokic? Like, you can't. And like, that sounds reductive. And I know basketball players and basketball teams in general are just super competitive folks. You can't tell them they can't do something. So I get all of that context. But like, there is no single player answer for Jokic. I don't think there's a real scheme answer for Jokic. If there was a team that was going to find a scheme answer for Jokic, it would have been the
1: Miami Heat. And they tried a little bit of everything fronting bam fronting him is the only thing that worked for and and, because bam is amazing and the heat are smart like zone ain't gonna work you can't guard a man up in the but just but bam fronting was all right yeah
0: that fronting was all right and then once the pass got there or if he was able to as you mentioned very early on he could just move you so even if you front him he can still position himself in a way to get or entry pass and then from there you're dead elite touch elite finisher can get to the line and if you toss it on his hand he can also just tap it out to the corner or tap it behind his head he's insane so like i don't think there's a single player answer for yoke i don't think there's a real scheme answer for him either so to your point it is just about building out the best roster you can but i i just have so much fun watching him like i think back to the opener with denver and i can't remember which guard screened for him it wasn't even like a real inverted pick and rolls just kind of a quick slice or whatever the case may be but Gabe vincent was holding like a show and recover
1: and I the know the exact. Sec- I know the exact play. It was an inverted pick and roll. I know the exact play.
0: Yeah, and as soon as he left, he just casually cashes
1: a three, and it's like, what do you do with this? And as they, they were trying to, to re, they kind of switched, and they were trying to re switch. Yeah, and and in the middle of the re switch, you is you're just waiting. Like, you gonna do it? You gonna do it? You gonna do it? <laughs> oh, you're do. Oh, goodbye. It's insane. Like, he stresses out all of your basketball
0: sensibilities. He makes you have to be perfect, and people just can't be perfect. Like, even with the Lakers trying to switch some of the off-ball stuff, we know the various actions Denver can run, get into their split actions and stuff like that. If your switch is not physical and on time, a cut is open and Yoka just hitting it. Or if someone senses that the cut is open and you back up a little bit to prevent the pass, Jokic is comfortable shooting wherever he is standing. There's nothing you can really do with this guy. I, I He is a blast to watch. And all the discourse around him last year, discourse around him the last few years has just been ridiculous if you've watched that man play.
1: Well, the other thing is, this was going to be in my rapid fire random observations from around the league. But, like, I think an underrated thing about Jokic, and the Lakers have learned this the hard way over and over again, he eventually is going to minimize your offensive rebounding threat if offensive rebounding is a big part of what you can do because he might be the best defensive rebounder in the NBA in terms of size and hands. And every single time the Lakers crash two guys and don't get the rebound and he gets it, they are dead in the water. Mm-hmm. He's just bringing the ball up the floor. It's a five on three and you're just dead. Like there's a, And it eventually in a playoff series you're going to be like we just can't afford to do this anymore and if it's a part of your offense that matters and for a bad half-court offensive team which frankly the lakers have been for two years it does matter to them and if you take that weapon away because the punishment on the other end is just death by Jokic fast break and denver shooting okay back to the lakers that's the Jokic uh sidebar um what the hell were we talking about oh, the lakers um like, I th- I think about AD in relation to Jokic and why the AD discourse drives me crazy. He had 30 points last night, and what do you have? The Zero in the second half in the first game. 17 total, I think. Mm. Like, I, I just, I don't know why, but because he's so talented, people think that the Lakers should just be able to dump the ball to him and he should be able to get you 30 a game. There are, like, there are two humans on earth, maybe three, who are large, 7 feet tall, 6'10", who can do that in the modern era of help defense and and you know all this stuff, and post-ups are more difficult to score on than they were. Double teams are more disguised. Anthony Davis is not one of those guys. He's mm-hmm. not going to self-create his way to 30 a night. Some nights he will when he gets a lot of free throws or he has a favorable matchup or whatever, doesn't have to work as hard on defense. Some nights he'll go 6 for 17 and have to scrounge out 21 points or 18 points. That's just what... He is, um, he is going to need the kind of pick and roll volume that he had last night to get consistent 30 to 30, whatever game, 28 to 32 point games. And most importantly, the reason for that is that his jump shot has just vanished for four years now. And that's just four to six points that aren't there every game. But this is just, this is life for every big man in the NBA, except for Joel and Jokic and Giannis, if you count Giannis as a big man, to me he's just a Giannis, but he's a big man. Mm. This is just life. And he's going to need high pick and roll volume to get his points up that high. He got it last night. He scored thirty points. And just I know like he's going to be one of the three best defenders in the NBA every single game, every single minute, and that has enormous value too. But this is just what Anthony Davis is. It's not gonna be an easy thirty points every night because It's just big men don't do that other than these outrageously talented guys. People want him to be Embiid. He's not as strong. People want him to be Jokic. He's not on his level as a passer and also not as strong. He can't just move people wherever he wants to.
0: Yeah. Like, I think that blend of physicality and, like, I don't think Anthony Davis is a bad passer, but he's, again, he's not Jokic. He's not, I wouldn't say he's like Sabonis as a passer. Like, he's a solid one. He can make very easy reads for you like processing speed could be a bit of an issue. And that kind of leads me into just the general Laker context, because I do like this roster. I do think I they're do going too. to be a very good team. Um, but I think about when you do try to dump the ball to Anthony Davis on the block, or when you do just pass to him on the left wing and let him ISO. So who's beside him matters a whole lot. It kind of has to be D'Angelo Russell, or it has to be insert really good shooter here. Because if it is LeBron, again, they've countered, they've had LeBron cut behind the help that shows. We saw it in the Denver game. But the floor is just so cramped for him. And as someone that's not going to overpower a bunch of people, like he's very much get a shoulder into your chest, move you a little bit, but I'm using the touch and the extension. Those are generally tough looks. He's one of the best players in the modern era because he can make those. He's one of the best play finishers in the league still. But that's generally a tougher shot diet. So you have to be intentional about the way that you create space for Anthony Davis. And if you can't do that consistently, you're making that harder on him In light of, again, he's not as strong as Jokic. He's not as strong as Giannis. He's not going to put his head down as consistently as Giannis. And ultimately, if you're worried about like Anthony Davis' health, you don't really want him burrowing into a crowd that much either because you need him for the defense. As you said, it's top three, top five value with him just being on the court. So I I would like the general conversation to kind of change around what the expectations are. Like, that's why I was a little bit frustrated. I ended up making like a breakdown video about uh, the opener against Denver where Anthony Davis had 17 in the first half. He didn't have any points in the second half. I think it was Charles Barkley that said, if you're a great player, you can't go scores in half. I agree. But, like, we have to think about what Anthony Davis's context is and I think the point of my video is, like, what Denver did to bother him and, like, kind of factor all that in. Anthony Davis deserves, he needs a good context to be the type of player that you want to be. And if he doesn't have it, you can't be surprised when he's not able to do that night in and out that.
1: Yeah, and you can't go scoreless. Like that's like you got to scrounge 5 points. Like you you do. That's fair. Uh like he just missed a lot of shots and that's going to happen. Yeah, you'd like a couple free throws or something. Like Charles is right in that sense. Like, you know, zero is not awesome, but anyway. Um Lakers, you mentioned uh, the word post up with LeBron. He had two post touches last night and zero according to Second Spectrum in the mm-hmm. first game. That's always my barometer for you know, LeBron, like, I want to be point guard. I want the ball. LeBron has never had any problems making the game what he wants it to be. Um, and so I just, like, I don't think Darvin Ham is sitting there being like, you know what, like, we're going to call a bunch of d low pick and rolls and, like, you go stand off to the side. Like, LeBron could do whatever he wants, including post up. He just hasn't done that much, and and I think we'll see more of that as the season goes. The other thing, just quickly on the Lakers – I'm a little surprised by how little Hachimura has played. I thought he was going to start the se- be the starter this season. I think uh, going into camp, they thought he would start this season. Torian Prince has started in that spot instead. Torian Prince is fine. Like he's a good player. Um, that, that we know the Lakers are going to have Reeves, LeBron, AD when it matters. One of the other players will be a point guard, D'Lo or Gabe Vincent. That fifth player is going to be the most interesting subplot to watch on their team it was christian wood uh last night they had christian wood guard kevin durant which is he was actually like decent he, he at was fine his off ball defense – if if you make him the issue with christian wood on fours and why he doesn't have a real position defensively is if you do what denver did to him which is move him around a lot off the ball he will not be able to withstand that against the shooting four um hachimura is a candidate prince is a candidate um Jackson Hayes at played center, at plays center office. He's not a candidate for that. He did not play in the second half last night. Uh, Reddish is playing more at the three than I thought he would on, on backup units. Um, I'm just, I, I just kind of thought coming off the playoff run that that job would be Hachimura's to lose. And he's uh, lost it already and has to get it back.
0: Yeah. I I wonder how much of that. And this is something that I talked about with Steve. Uh, once the Hachimura contract was signed, it was like, certainly earned a deal and you project him to just continue to grow and get better. But the three point shooting that we saw in the playoffs is not the norm for him. Not that he's necessarily a bad one from out there, but it, it wasn't that. And so wondering like one, how much of that would be real heading into the season? And more importantly, how would defenses treat him as a shooter? Would he still be in the, if he makes shots we're fine with it camp or would they, would he a more of a closeout? And I think the Denver game was really illustrative in no, nah, we're still going to let him shoot. If he hits five, then we just lose, but he's got to take five. And I think that's where someone like Torian Prince who can do more of the connector things. I think than Rui can offensively, uh, the defense, you kind of go either way, depending on the player type that they're defending, but the three point shooting itself teams, no Torian Prince can shoot. He's comfortable shooting against contest. He will get them up with volume. He will not hesitate. He won't pump into those going to mid rangers He will shoot. And I think if you're trying to maximize the space around LeBron and trying to maximize the space around Anthony Davis, Torrey Prince just makes a lot more sense. Now, beyond that, I figured, especially in light of, like, Christian Wood just didn't play much in the first game, if at all. Like, I thought from there it would just kind of be Rui. And so I'm a little bit surprised that we haven't seen more of him. But this is, you know, again, we're two games into the Lakers season. So I would imagine that ends up correcting itself. I do kind of wonder what happens when Jared Vanderbilt is back and how that complicates the rotation for them. But, like, I expect Rui to still, he, he will find a role, I believe. Like, I think he's good enough, to. I think, look,
1: 30,000 feet Lakers view is if this is a bad half court offense, they can't win the championship. They have to have a better half court offense than they did last season where they got far and were awesome and were an incredibly tough and defensive oriented team. And they got as far as they could go, which was winning zero games against the Nuggets. And along that path in the playoffs, Jared Vanderbilt went from starter to reserve to barely playing because he can't shoot. I mean, I say he can't shoot. He's an NBA player. He can shoot better than 99% of humans alive. In the context of NBA games, he will not be guarded anywhere on the floor Other than immediately at the rim. And we're sitting here talking about what Anthony Davis needs to thrive and the context he needs. He doesn't need that. He needs that area of the floor clear. And so I, I, I don't know how Jared Vanderbilt fits into that picture that we've been talking about this whole time. I just know this. If the Lakers don't have a half-court offense that is reliable at an above-average rate, they are not going to win the championship. And that is what they are trying to construct this entire year. That's why this—what is LeBron doing as is he a point guard? Is he posting up? How, how many—what's his volume of pick and roll? That's why this discussion matters. Random observations from the first three days. Three days? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Yeah, th- first three, four days. Whatever the hell it is of the season. <laughs> I Just random rapid fire. I will start, Nakaya, so you have a vibe of what I'm, I'm... Overreactions, underreactions. We're just having fun. We're exuberant. The season has begun. I will start. I am all in on Derek Lively already. I love every second of it. And what I really love is Luca is a very artful lob passer and for as great as he is at setting up threes he knows a good two at the rim is still the best shot and he likes the challenge of threading little needles around the rim like all right this lob I got like a window it's a little bit bigger than the basketball I got to get it over that guy but in front of that guy My guy's got to be able to catch it. Let me aim it at the corner of the backboard, the Mm -hmm. lower left corner, and let's see if Lively can go up and get it and finish it. Oh, oh, he can? This is awesome. Dallas, Dallas, uh, they they won Wemby's debut. We'll talk about Wemby. Their pace in that game was 107 possessions. I bet they didn't play a faster game all of last season. Even Luka was running... And those young legs around him, that's my first observation. I don't know how good Dallas is going to be. I had them around 42, 43, 44 wins, battling for 6-9 to in the West, kind of there, which is not awesome. But uh, I I enjoyed the Derek Lively experience. Your turn.
0: (laughs) Well, one, Derek Lively was a lot of fun. And giving Luka that kind of vertical presence is going to be uh, good luck to defenses as naturally lucas one of the best offensive players on the planet and one of the best offensive players we've ever seen that's going to be a lot of fun for me i have my eye on toronto undefeated in the preseason you can see darko very very intentional about the type of movement that he's trying to implement to the half-court offense more passing more sets half-court offense was still bad 72 offensive rating in game one and they won and this is where i've been in a headlock with toronto because I think the offense, the half court offense did get stale. I think a lot of that is just personnel issues. They don't have a ton of shooting, they don't have a ton of movement shooting on the roster. And so trying to find the balance between they are doing better things process-wise and the roster is what it is. So it was nice to see them get the win over Minnesota, but it very much felt like the same blueprint as last year. We are going to swarm defensively, we are going to force turnovers, we are going to run in transition, and in the half court, best of luck, even with some nicer action sprinkled in. So quick shout out to Scotty Barnes, who I think was tremendous. And also refreshing to not see him chasing a bunch of guards. I'm glad that he was almost strictly defending three through five. I, I didn't and see
1: that game. He was guarding he was guarding, guarding Edwards cat. on down. Yeah. Oh cat cat a lot too. Cat yeah, lot. who was eight for fifty two or something like that in that <laughs> game. Yeah, so it was just fun to watch
0: him as a help side defender. Like, it, 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 the defensive context felt so much better for him. And then OG Ananobi, what he did to Anthony Edwards in that game from, like, the second quarter onward. OG only making second team still kind of roasts me the wrong way. But that's you know, I don't have a vote, so that's only so much I can say there. That man is incredible defensively.
1: Give also, this man he- a vote, by the way, NBA, if you want to vote. Give give as a vote. Nobody's watching more games than him. Give him a vote. What does he got to take- do? I, I will take it uh, i'll add some more stress to my life what's more
0: uh but og was incredible defensively also took nine threes i think watching his usage is he going to be stashed in the corner is he just going to be the come off staggers guy what kind of creativity can it get for him in light of all the rumblings for the role increase that he wants etc cetera, et cetera? so i guess i'll start with toronto like just they are a team that i feel like i am either going to be right about i had them finishing when we did preseason predictions i had them finishing 11th in the east I'm either going to be dead wrong about them, they're going to be top six because the defense is going to be this good, or the half-court offense is just going to continue to weigh them down.
1: They're on my weekend watch list. My turn. Victor Wembanyama is going to break the all-time record, which has not been tracked, for blocking people's jump shots from right in front of their faces that he is not guarding. You do not see people... <laughs> Take jump shots, their man's in front of them, they're shooting over their man. This other guy is coming from right in their line of sight. They see him coming, and he's coming from far away, and they're he blocks their jump shot. They they see it coming the whole time, and he's still blocked. Like that does not happen. He did that within a minute of the game to Kyrie Irving. And look, it's one thing to block your own guy's shot to rotate to the rim when the shooter doesn't see you coming or, like, knows you're lurking, but it's like, I can get this layup off. Oh, no, I can't. That's like a Jaron Jackson Jr. block, whatever. Um, to close out on a, a shooter and, and get a hand up. And, like, a Wemba, Wemba Nyama's closeouts are going to be the most exciting closeouts in the history of the NBA. I But y- y- he was in the Mavericks' heads by the end of the game. You could see guys being like, oh, Uh-oh, where, where, where is he? He's over there. He, yeah. um, and just... Look, offensively made threes. They they played him at center for a, a few minutes. I didn't think they I didn't know if they were gonna do that between Collins, who's beasting people in the post and and Bassey. The very first possession they played him at center. There was no learning curve. There was no like, what should we do? Lob dunk. Like immediate pick and roll lob dunk. I, this guy is gonna I mean, look. RJ said on the broadcast, "What what I've been telling people because I have all my friends who are just casual fans, like is this is this guy for real? Like, what? Did it tell me about this Wembenyama guy. Is he just a flashing, Like, is he just overhyped? And I my line is, if he stays healthy in like a long term sense, I just don't see any way he's not a ten time All Star. And I I I leave it there because ten time All Star, you're in like some pretty lofty." territory rj on the broadcast said he can be better than both david robinson and tim duncan now when you start throwing td's name out there Mm -hmm. you're talking about like a top 10 no-brainer player of all time and it's a tribute to how good this dude looks that nobody on the broadcast said a freaking word and even me who is about as big of a Tim Duncan guy as exists, who's always like Tim Duncan versus Kobe is like not even an argument. It's, it's Tim. Uh, he's t- I would have him higher than 10th in my top 10. I don't have it off the top of my head. Even I was like, I'm going to just let you say that, RJ. That's cool. So that's my Wemby That's my Wemby uh, rant.
0: It, it's funny because like, I was having a thought. I was having that thought the other day where I was like, have we kind of considered that Wemby might just be as good as everyone says he is? Which sounds very basic, but he is a seven-four dude that can handle, that can shoot, can block shots from all over the place, can change the geometry of the court on both ends of the floor. Like he may just live up to this, and we have to kind of reconfigure what that's actually going to mean. You mentioned ten all-stars, like that's super conservative for what he can be. If he yeah,
1: that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm, I'm. Ma- that's my limit. Where like saying anything more than this feels like taunting the basketball gods a little bit. By the way, speaking of taunting the basketball gods, the Hawks posted this on Twitter. Trey Young, I'm going to lose this freaking bet to Tim Bontemps that I have the Hawks in the top five, because Trey Young on this fast break, did you see this against Charlotte? He's He is wide-ass open, coasting in for a layup. The ball is the only person on the screen and the ball has no shot. The mellow gives up as Trey young goes up for a layup. There's no other person on the screen. And Trey young passes the ball off the backboard to Jalen Johnson, who then enters the television screen. By the time he catches the ball, the pass is almost hitting the ground. It's at his knees mm. and he goes up and dunks it. Let me tell you something. The basketball gods saw that. And punish the Hawks already by losing to the Stinky Hornets in Charlotte. Trey Young, lay the ball up and in or else Quinn Snyder's going to have a heart attack and the basketball gods are going to smite you. And that's—I did you see this play? Yes, it's funny. The Hawks pump this up like, oh, Trey <laughs> off to glass to Jalen Johnson. I watch it. I'm like, look, I'm not usually the old man yells at clouds. <laughs> that's one you just got to lay in, man. Uh, See, I can't.
0: I can't be hypocritical. I'm very much a hey, if you're on a fast break, you need to do something cool. I I, I actively boo folks that gives like the basic two hand dunks when I know you can do three sixties or so. If you're by yourself on a fast break, you got to give some style. So I can't go too hard on trade. I'm with you though. That probably wasn't the best decision. Or at the very least, it's got to be a a higher slash loftier pass so Jalen can actually run into it. But yeah, you can't do that. My Charlotte note though, one game sample size. 89 defensive rating with Mark Williams on the court.
1: Oh, man, he's good.
0: He's really Whoa. freaking good, man. I'm glad I have been yelling about Charlotte's defense for I don't know how many years in a row now. I still kind of feel funny about, like, James Brago not being there and people cited like, the defense. Like, this man tried literally every defensive scheme you could think of, all kinds of zones. It just didn't work. He didn't have the personnel. Anyway, Mark Williams is going to be one of the best interior defenders in the league. He's already one of the better ones in the league right now. And it is refreshing to watch Charlotte try to defend and funnel guys into him knowing, okay, if we get beat out here, we do have this big guy that they may not even challenge, but if they do, it's not going to go well. So I wanted to give him the quick hat tip there. The biggest point I wanted to make, though, uh, away from this game, I may have been too low on the thunder somehow. And uh, on a a recent uh, episode of Old Man in the Three with JJ Reddit, he asked Steve and I what we thought the ceiling was for OKC. And I said, flat out, home court. Like, they can just be a top-four seed if they hit their ceiling. That feels conservative after the Chicago game, in which they drove all over the place. And Shea Gilge's Alexander, drove all over the place. And it was funny, heading into that one, I was like, this seems like an interesting matchup for OKC, like, non-contender division, to where we know they're going to drive all over the place. We know Shea can get downhill, Josh Kitty can get downhill, Jalen Williams can get downhill. Even their center position, like Chet and Jalen Williams, are both good drivers for the center spot. And Chicago has a bunch of a bunch of guards, a bunch of wings that can stay in front. And Patrick they, Williams gets they, the sh- they, they do. <laughs> I would say that they do. Like I like Javon Carter, I like Iota Sumu, I like Tori Craig, I like. I Alex mean, Crusoe. I just assume we played
1: nine Williams. minutes. Alex yeah. Russo All those guys are bench players,
0: but they can they can defend on the ball. That was my general point. And Patrick Williams gets the shade, uh matchup, which. Very quietly, at least statistically, was just one of the best ISO defenders in the league last year. Patrick Williams was. And Shea just pants them. And it just,
1: I don't I've been, know I've what he's doing. Do I've been warning people all summer. Nobody watched FIBA. I mean, nobody oh, in Shea the US. Incredible. But he wasn't, it was the way he was incredible. It was like he had this bravado about him in that tournament, even when he was facing Team USA and a bunch of NBA guys, where it's like, I can do whatever the i want like i don't care who's guarding me i will get to my spot and get my shot and none of you suckers have any shot to guard me and i said over and over he has announced to the world if you thought last season was that like i got over my head a little bit wait till you see what's coming and i agree with you like i i I wrote the sunders the thunder ceiling is 50 wins and and a top four seed um, that's there's I wrote that. That's like there's almost everything goes right ceiling, and I think that a top four seed is the ceiling for almost everybody in the West, other than Denver and Phoenix, who should be better than that. Phoenix does not look good to start, but let's give it some time. There's like if you told me the Pelican ceiling is a top four, like the third or fourth, seat, I'd be like, yeah, sure. That means Zion played 65 games. Like that's that's not implausible. And I had the Thunder closer to the 44, 45 fighting for a top six seed fighting to stay out of the play and then i'm with you i watched that game and i was like whoa whoa boy and then the bulls watched that game and watched themselves play and were like we need to set the land speed record for quickest players only <laughs> meeting ever in an nba season and they kicked billy donovan out it's like uh, can i come in here guys no okay and then billy donovan just went to the press conference like yeah i got kicked out of the locker room it's great guys are talking that's what you want
0: Embracing conflict. It's like, okay, well, if we're here at the game one, and I guess in a literal, I think there was like DeMar Rosen quote, it was like, we're never going to let this happen again. I was like, well, I guess what? you do only play the, the Thunder one more time but this let year. Let what so.
1: happen? <laughs> my, my was like, but what's the con- let, what, let what happen again? Get roasted by a good team? Like, that's going to happen again. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> I guess you can't get
0: I was looking at the second spectrum stuff. 56 drives for the Thunder and no all possessions featuring a Thunder drive. 1.35 points per possession. That can't happen. It's uh, may, That may just be some player speak for, we at least got to put a body on these dudes. We at least got to be more physical so they can't just get to the paint the way they want to. Because Shea, again, he just got to his spots all night long. All the way to the rim, got to the line, got to the free throw line, can get to jumpers, can make kicks from there, and then Josh Giddy's cutting all over the place or driving all over the place. They just howl Chicago. Like, this feels 50-plus wins, top three seed. Oh, my God that would be
1: that would be uh, so incredible I, I, okay my, my turn we're gonna go faster now as we get to the closing closing speed uh I feel good about my Sacramento Kings optimism um <laughs> everyone was down not down but there's all this like can they stay healthy are they gonna was last year can they duplicate last year I looked at their team I was like love the continuity got deeper love that they, they, I think they're like really hungry like they're one of these teams that hears this skepticism and I also think Like, it's impossible to do these counterfactuals. I I thought their win in Golden State in Game 6 facing elimination was one of the best wins I've ever seen for an inexperienced young team. I also think, like, is it better than 50-50 they win that series if Fox doesn't break the tip of his index finger on his shooting hand, like, halfway through the series? Like, I I think it is. I think they probably, not probably, they certainly don't get roasted in Game 7 at home Mm -hmm. the way they did. And if they win that series, all that talk about how can they duplicate last season, like no one is saying that. And they looked awesome in Utah in the first game. Feel good about the Kings. Your turn.
0: All right. Well, I will just quickly add, um, because you mentioned New Orleans a little bit earlier. Shout out to Matt Ryan getting into the rotation. Man, right away. Right Right away. Welcome in. They needed some shooting because I was re-watching that game yesterday. And they threw out this lineup of... Think they had herb jones out there dyson daniels out there larry nash jr was out there brandon ingram and another non-shooter it's like man you're asking a lot of brandon ingram with this group like you want him to kind of clean up the shot profile it's kind of hard to do that when he's just playing in a phone booth with some of these lineups so it's refreshing to see a you know, UConn fan here it's refreshing to see jordan hawkins get some minutes but matt ryan comes in nine points three or six from three a plus 20 in 14 minutes held up reasonably well in those smaller units they were switching a bunch up he's Held up reasonably well, and the shooting was wildly important. So I'm glad he played well. Zion in that fourth quarter was insane. I don't know if you've gotten to watch that full game yet.
1: Mm-mm.
0: Oh my goodness! Through the first three quarters, like Memphis had had Zion in the box. Jaron was very good on him. They mixed up the looks. They aggressive help on his drives, etc. Fourth quarter comes. Zion catches a lob, drive over two for an and one. Step back mid range jumper. He just decided you're not going to be able to guard me anymore. And it was very like LeBron-like, where it's like a, flip, a switch is flipped and he just gets downhill, and your only hope is that he just misses a shot because you're not fa- you're really not going to bother him. So that was fun watching him turn that on. Also, Herb Jones only took three three-point attempts. The confidence in which he shot, in addition to the defense that he provides, very excited for Herb. Glad he got the contract he did. That's going to end up looking like a steal moving forward. Steal, steal. Uh, fun game for
1: the New Orleans Hornets. Pelicans. How the, the you called the Hornets ah, the Pelicans? State steal thing uh, by Bar Williams. <laughs> we we need to get Trey Murphy the third back ASAP to round out that team. They yes. they really need his shooting. Okay, my turn. Um, I think um, I'm I'm a little worried as as a general optimist on the Rockets' young talent, and it's very ah. very young. Like my optimism hasn't really waned. It's just so young, which is why I kept saying i don't think they're i think the thunder have a great draft pick on their hands in this rockets top four protected pick that they own um i think the minutes when fred van vliet is on the bench i may have to come with some sort of warning to viewers because they're going to be very very ugly unless Shen Goon is on the floor and i think they might need him on the floor for a lot of those minutes otherwise it's just going to be it's it's going to be raw. It's going to be raw without Fred Van Vliet. That's all. They looked okay. they looked very, very bad in Orlando, which is, of course, like as a psycho, that was one of the games I watched on opening night. They looked they looked very bad.
0: Same. Uh, for, on the Orlando front, Franz looked very good, as he does. Also a strong summer for him. So I'm excited about that one. I had a quick question for you on Houston. I don't know how much of Houston's preseason you watched. Where are you at on Shingun's defense? Because I was wildly impressed with what he did in the preseason. Uh, the game won, again, Orlando kind of got what they wanted. But, like, where are you at with him defensively? Uh,
1: I was a, a tepid um, – not tepid. I said last year that I don't think he is as bad as the critics think. Um, and I don't think his ceiling on defense is as abysmally low as people are projecting. I, I think what I said was something like I don't see any reason why with his IQ – and his size and his rebounding he can't be average for a center and if he's average defensively he is going to be a monster on offense um and i and i think part of it is like like a lot of young players it's just his effort comes particularly last year on a team that was going nowhere you know young players on those teams don't tend to defend with like ferocity every single possession and he was guilty of that too I am interested to see that this year now that there are stakes and now that there's a coach who will just be like, hey, I'm just not going to play you. Like, you know, Doka gives <laughs> absolutely zero Fs. He will just be like, OK, you're on the bench, Jock Lando. Come on in and hit some people. I So I would say I'm a tepid Shengun optimist. Just like he's going to be so good offensively that you're going to need to surround him defensively with the right kind of people. But I don't see why he can't be like passable.
0: Got you. And I think just bouncing off of that, it was like a lot of drop coverage for him last year, which I just flat out do not think is his best coverage. I think at the best version of him is going to be him at the level or playing a little bit higher, uh, similar to what Jokic does, similar to what DeMontis Sabonis does. I think that's why it's important to add a Fred Van Bleed, add a Dylan Brooks to beef up your perimeter defense. And also, the Rockets just aren't going to have Tari Eason for a while, which really stinks. And so I think having a rangy forward like that uh, can you know increase, increase the odds they're being successful if they do ramp up the aggression with him. So something to track there. Um, Got to have something on Miami, naturally. Dahamey Hawkins mid-post buckets, I am here for it. If we're doing wild predictions after one game, he's going to make an all-rookie team. That
1: Love doesn't it. even classify Love as wild, it.
0: but like he, he's making an all-rookie team. That dude knows how to play basketball, as cliche as that sounds. And I am here for it. Like I was a little bit worried watching him, like, you know, some of the second units, he was matched up with Jaden Ivy. I was like, well, he's a smart defender. He knows where to be. I don't know if you want to put that kind of, speed in front of him so we'll see what the matchups look like for him defensively but i think he's going to be smart enough to execute whatever miami wants to do defensively and offensively he just fills gaps so well he moves the ball well and if he can self-create like this against second units the value for him is going to be uh is going to be pretty immense i feel like he's going to factor into miami's rotation very early
1: the Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, Scoot Henderson minutes are going to be very ugly for Portland defensively. They only played three minutes together in the first game against the Clippers. Shaden Sharp, a good way to watch the Blazers and, and figure out if Shaden Sharp is making progress in, in the ways they are going to matter for him. And I'm, I think Shaden Sharp has a chance to be really good. Watch him in rotation on defense because he can get a little turned around in a way that is sort of unusually bizarre for NBA players. Uh, Russ looked awesome in that game. I just continue to eat crow on the Russ Clippers thing. I said that they should stay 10,000 miles away from him. He's been awesome through great entry passes to Zubats, got them running, and he's still got like the jumper ain't going to be there. He can still just bully ball, drive his way, draw help, and drop off passes. And, you know, they surround him with enough shooting, which they're starting five with man may not, but um, he's been very good for them. Okay, your turn. Quickly, three-minute warning. (laughs) <laughs> Got you. Uh,
0: I'm glad you brought up this game because I had two quick notes on that one. On the Clippers side, Zubats defensively in that game, and I was against Portland, so, you know, grain of salt, et cetera. That was one of the better defensive games I've seen him play. And it will not surprise me if he ends up, both of us do like super long lists as we're thinking about a Lord stuff. It's not going to surprise me if Zubats ends up on my list defensively if he's going to play at that kind of level. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And then very quickly on the Blazer front, you mentioned the defensive trio of those guards, and I agree with you. I don't think that's going to be very good. I do want to continue to give the hat tip to Anthony Simons, whose effort defensively and screen navigation feels so much better than it was last year. The last couple of years, honestly, this is something that I've consistently mentioned on the pod, on my timeline. Like, he's really good offensively. The defense can't be where it is. You hear players say, I want to improve this in the offseason or disappointment of emphasis. This feels real for him. He has really taken the defense personally, so I want to commend him on that. I hope that stays consistent throughout the year for him.
1: Players I will be watching in games two, three, and four for their team for a little bit more juice. Just juice. Just give me some juice. Clay Thompson. Mm-hmm. Andrew Wiggins. Player I will be watching, not be- for more juice this dude always brings the power and the oomph just just watching just watching for jump shots mostly Jalen Suggs uh took a lot of shots in that game did not make a lot of shots in that game and this team is absolutely starving for a guard that can shoot around Wagner Bankero, and Carter which is a, a, a very good playoff ready front line and uh this season, I think, is going to be a learning experience for the Magic about okay, who who uh, who do we got? Like, who wants who wants to take who wants to take on this role? And Jonathan Isaac lives, and I don't I don't really know how they're going to use him. All they all, he was essentially just their backup four. We didn't see much, or if any of him, maybe with like Wagner Bank, like they have a lot of interesting front courts they can go to with him. Um, they're going to take take baby steps with it, but defense like offensively, he, he traveled. Or almost traveled almost every (laughs) single time he touched the ball. It's going to be a long recovery back to that. But defensively, the guy is just crazy. I mean, crazy. Yeah, the the defense has been fun to watch, and I will will personally just
0: leave that there. Um, Beyond that, though, I don't want to be too rude to Detroit because they're dealing with a lot of injuries and like three of their top four, top five shooters are out. I love watching Cade Cunningham. I do not love watching Cade Cunningham operate in a phone booth. I want them to find a way to balance out these lineups with more spacing.
1: Would you suggest playing all their centers at the same time? Just go five centers on the (laughs) four-point Bagley?
0: Oh, gosh. I don't feel like we're that far off from it at this point. (laughs) But, man, it's just – Jalen Duran and Isaiah Stewart up front. Like I get it conceptually. I just don't think Isaiah Stewart shoots well enough for defenses to care. And if you're not going to do that, I, I don't know, man. Like, I, again, I'm giving a little bit of grace because Boyan's out. Isaiah Livers is out. Like there's only so much they can do. I don't know how much you want to play Joe Harris in particular, if you want to play him at the three or the four, but they have to find a way to get more space around Cade. Because he was masterful inside the arc against Miami. The zero free throw thing, I think I saw a graphic. It was either a sports and a graphic, ESPN graphic. I can't remember which one. But it was like 30 points, zero free throws. And like, yes, Kate is a bucket. Also, K cannot get all the way to the rim because it is congested. Please make life easier for your franchise center. Please, por favor. Uh,
1: also, someone who had zero free throw attempts was Ben Simmons. And I, I keep—I don't take any joy in saying this. The only thing I care about with Ben Simmons, I don't want to hear any noise and any, I don't want to get ex- excited about this or that. Are you afraid to get fouled? The answer is yes. The rest of it is noise. Nikias Duncan, just a a basketball savant. Um, listen to the dunker spot. Um, follow him and Steve Jones on Twitter if you want to have uh, if you want to actually understand what's going on in the game. Um, I really appreciate you lending your time. I knew you would have observations about like Matt Ryan got into the podcast. I knew I knew we would go to unexpected places please listen to the dunker spot uh Nikias duncan thank you
0: sir thanks for having me also just on the w side quick hat tips to the aces for winning their title back to back very fun just came back from vegas for their parade so we are here we're locked in but again thank
1: you for having me